So for many of us, um, we were going to do a, re- a, a year in review. But uh, for many of us, uh, the worlds that is 2021 and 2020 um, was life-altering. It was life-changing. It still is. In varying degrees, it's been a different world for all of us. And uh, for all of us, we've, especially in a church context, we've had to um, talk to each other in a way that often has to use language like, uh, you know, hold fast to the, to the word, hold fast, uh, faithfulness, um, if not the word, you know, to stay the course. We've had to use that kind of language with each other. And uh, I was a bit unsure to, to share this part, but um, my personal journey over the last couple of while has been anything but boring. Um, and, uh, but like, I want to share this part of it with some with us this morning and for those at home, uh, that the, a journey like mine, and I'm not the only one in this church that would have experienced this, but when you um, are going on a journey that involves um, real health challenges with real life issues, um, it often looks like this. I'm sure I'm not the only one, but um, things are not right, and so you find yourself in a place where you go to a doctor and they do the first kind of initial um, looking at you, and that involves a few little blood tests and everything, and then uh, you you wait, and then what comes next is that you get to sit down and, and get a diagnosis. You know, the doctor that you have gone to now sits you down and starts telling you what what the diagnosis is, and that involves a moment in your life that is quite etched into your memory, and it involves a lot of emotion, uh, fear, worry, um, if not some anger or frustration. And uh, the next step after that is actually this, this journey that is quite intense because what goes from that is immediate reaction to that diagnosis and you have to find yourself, often it takes lots of more tests, uh, lots of uh, maybe one or two operations and uh, it, it's quite a big activity moment to the point where I say it's actually quite a distracting time even though it's fear-filled and worrisome, you're busy, and you, you're grinding it out, and you, you're getting through it, the, the pain, the discomfort, the meds, whatever it is. And uh, that moment happens, and then it's almost like a journey that you take, that you start, and you get to that big mountain pass, and you've, you've, you've got to the top, and you've struggled, and your muscles are sore. But unfortunately, what happens on the other side is that as you finish that climb, you look out and you see this rather uh, distraught-inducing look of a flat land, lifeless, no water, no trees, and it's a long way off that you you see. And actually, for me, and I'm sure not for me, for a a whole lot of other people, you realize that actually that, that wasn't the hardest part, that initial mountain climb. What is happening now is that you've got to put one step in front, one foot in front of yourself and keep going. And there's not much to do other than keep going. And uh, it's, it's, it's that kind of feeling that I think a lot of us on a spiritual level have got through. All of us went through this mountain moment last year and on a spiritual level where we had to adjust, we had to get things done and we had to diagnose and then adjust and do this and do that. 
And 2021 has seemed to feel like a little bit of that time now where you stand on a spiritual and a church level going, oh my goodness, it's not done. My muscles are sore. I'm, I'm feeling despondent. And, and look what is ahead of me. There's actually more stuff to, to get through. Now, uh, the, the, the element of pure grit and determination, that's definitely a part of it. But for me, and this morning I hope we can see that that's not the only thing that I'll, that's going to get us through this flatland that I'm going to call. This space where um, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally it's taxing. There's not a lot of shade. There's not a lot of water. It's, it's, you, you need something bigger than just grit. You need something that's bigger than that to help you with that. You need something that over, can, can overwhelm the fear, the distress, the worry of what situation you find yourself in. And today as we look in Luke 24, we're going to see a story with some people also experiencing this kind of thing. And often in Scripture, unfortunately, it doesn't give us what often we want in 2021, a nice, neat answer to something, you know what I mean? Just quick, not neat, just do this, and it's all done. Luke 24 is not like that. It's, it's not written for us to get a neat answer. It actually raises questions for us, and it actually creates a time of reflection for you and me. And uh, it's, a, it's a map for us to orientate ourselves in this journey through this flatland. And it reveals a lot about Jesus' life and our life and how they intersect. It needs to be recognized as a story about our lives. As we've heard, it's a journey and it's a story which you and I are familiar with. It's a story of hopelessness and restoration. And maybe today you find yourself where your life has been, feels hopeless or shattered then this is your story. Maybe you're here today and your life has been restored. This is your story. Maybe you find yourself in the in-between, in this flatland place. This is your story. Uh, I love this quote from Oz Guinness. It says, Jesus made it clear that the kingdom of God is organic and not organizational. It grows like a seed and it works like leaven, secretly, invisibly, surprisingly, and irresistibly. And I'm going to add unexpectedly. And today we see a moment, an unexpected moment. Luke records this story of two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and this is post the crucifixion, and uh, it's after that moment, and we see that Jesus remains for 40 days after the, the, his death and resurrection. And he hangs around for 40 days, and often I've been intrigued by why this is. And as we look at those 40 days, he interacts with people in unexpected ways. He allows them, he becomes visible to people. He interacts with certain people in those 40 days. And I think if you look at it, those moments are often not necessarily for, let's use the word, people that are not his followers or unbelievers. All of them involve believers, where it's more a case of him going, hey, I'm going to show you this. I'm going to reveal myself to you because of what your journey is going to involve. So maybe you can remember Mary Magdalene, where he reveals, he, he calls her by name and she recognizes him. And that allows her to share the news of his resurrection. What about Thomas? 
who gets to almost demand of Christ to show proof that he's risen. And Jesus shows him himself and reveals that. What about to Peter, that on the beach, Jesus gives him three moments of restoration to make up for the three times that he denied him and builds his church on that moment. And then today, two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Let's pick up in verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to the village named Emmaus, about seven miles, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near. So we introduced to these two disciples, and they're talking about what's just happened. It's been a big deal in Jerusalem. Okay? Jesus was put on trial falsely and crucified, and they are standing there really just talking about what has happened. It's what we found ourselves in talking about last year in March, April, you know, like it was the biggest thing in the world, for goodness sake. You know, the pandemic broke out. It was, first it was thousands of miles away, and then it just, it got closer, and everybody was talking about it. And they were talking about this, and Jesus joins them. Unexpectedly, he's with them. But they can't recognize him. They don't recognize him. It talks about him not allowing them to recognize him. Maybe they didn't recognize him because he was in a glorious form where they didn't recognize him. I mean, can you wait for the day when you're in your glorious form? I know some of you in the room are already there, or so you feel. Um, I'm very close, but not there yet. Um, You know, never having to wear a T-shirt in the swimming pool in summer. You know, we're going to get there one day. Maybe not now. But maybe it's a case of they don't recognize it because of their cosmic disappointment. If you can put yourself, and you probably can find yourself in the story, these two guys, uh, if we cut to the chase, they've left Jerusalem because they've been following Jesus for three years. They've been following his story, his life, his ways. They're disciples of the king and his kingdom, and they've been building towards that. And the last time they see him, he's busy getting nailed to a cross, flogged, and he dies in front of them. Cosmic disappointment. We all have had that, or could possibly have that. I thought he was the one. I thought she was the one. I thought that was going to be it. I thought if I got that job, things would be okay. If that happens, it'll solve all my problems. I thought God was going to heal me. Cosmic disappointment. We all go through them. We all experience them. From verse 17, he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other, each other as you talk? And they stood still, look, still looking sad. And the one replies like, as my son would tell me, brah, what's up? You know, like, are you the only person in the world? It's the equivalent of somebody arriving in the room saying, like, what's with the masks? You know, everybody would be like, what, 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 where have you been? And they're kind of like, what, what, who are you? What, 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 how are you even asking? And he goes, well, tell me. And he said to him, what things? And then they go on and they say, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how chief priests, rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. 
Yes, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Jesus says, what things? And these guys reply out of a place of cosmic disappointment. They go, yeah, he, he was a prophet. It's no longer savior. It's no longer king. They're talking in past tense. Oh, he was a prophet. He was a good guy. But they, they're not, not thinking of him as savior anymore because of that cosmic disappointment that they experienced. And then it goes on to say, but we had hoped, past tense again, we had hoped that he was going to deliver us from the Roman Empire and break our chains of slavery. They've lost hope. We had hoped that he would save evil, uh, Israel. <laughs> it's that normal tension that they find themselves in and we find ourselves in today between the now and not yet of God's kingdom, where we get caught in that tension of, I assume this was going to happen, and it doesn't happen. It goes on to say, moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, and he wasn't there. They met with angels, and uh, basically some men go like, oh, we're not so sure about your story. We'll go check for ourselves, and they go there, and it's true. The irony is they're talking about Jesus to Jesus, and they don't even know it. That would be my, my next point, unexpected visitation. You see, we can't talk about unexpected Jesus without mentioning our expected expectations. You see, we don't like to mention this often, as I said just now, but we love to live in the now of the kingdom and get the, the now part of the kingdom, and that's right, there is a now part of the kingdom. But we kind of lean more towards that than about looking at the, also the, the future kingdom, the not yet, what's in store for us. We struggle with that. We struggle between those two. And so what happens is when we encounter a problem or a disappointment, a cosmic disappointment, maybe a sickness, maybe a loss of income, maybe a world pandemic or a fence in church. We don't have this very robust theology of making sense of those moments. Even when we do kind of make sense, we struggle with making sense of things that don't make sense. That's why Proverbs 13 mentions a hope deferred makes the heart sick. These two disciples walk away from Jerusalem as they were distraught. Their only option, so they thought, was to walk away because of this disappointment. Walk away from the gospel, walk away from Jesus, walk away from the gathering of the saints, walk away from their brothers and sisters, walk away from the faith, the assembling of God's people. They say, we had hoped he was the one that was going to redeem us. He was the one we had hoped. Even more so, they're going to Emmaus, which in a way might have been where they were from, but it also represents a time in history where security was assured as Jewish people. In a way, what they're doing is they're going, hey, this didn't work out the way we thought. Let's go back to what we used to do or used to know. They're walking back to what they used to do and used to know. 
And it begs the question for myself and for all of you in the room or at home, where do you go when you're disappointed or expectations are not, are not met? What's your Emmaus road? What road do you get back on? What's the drug of your choice to go back to when those moments of disappointment come, when things don't go according to your plans? It might be a him, it might be a her, it might be them, those group of people. Maybe it's career, work, money, education, consumption, be it alcohol, porn, whatever, entertainment, nature, pleasure, happiness. What is your road of Emmaus in your life? We all have them. There's that thing that when things happen, we tend to just get back on that road and walk away. And the irony is we already know that it doesn't work. But in desperation or in panic or, or distraughtness, we default to our Emmaus road and we find ourselves walking away and back to something else. That's why Proverbs 26 is like a dog that returns to his vomit, a fool who, who repeats his folly. That's what it's talking about. It's someone that, okay, not going according to plan, I'm out of here. But even though these two are seemingly turning their back, and they're going back to what they used to know and be and have, we see a picture of Jesus is not doing the same. He's not prepared to let them go that way. His stubborn loyalty to them and us is evident in the story. It overshadows what they're feeling and thinking. That's why 2 Timothy says this beautiful verse. It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Jesus can't deny the fact that he's stubbornly loyal and faithful to us, even though when you and I get back on that Emmaus road and choose to go that way. The story picks up and goes into another unexpectedness, unexpected revelation. Verse 25, and he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that, has, that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. Jesus responds, hey, you foolish guys, man, really. Did not the last three years the word of God talk about the Christ having to suffer? Beginning with Moses, he starts to work his way through the word of God. The rebuke from him points to the problem. Their problem is that in essence, their limited and incomplete understanding of who Jesus was and his kingdom is tripping them up. That's why God always says the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like, reminding us. And more than that, can you handle this in our suburban sensibilities and in the 2021 culture of the day where things need to be neat and quick and convenient and not cause discomfort, how's the audacity that 
the Lord of Lords, the risen King, okay, solution to their disappointment, get this, is a Bible study. A Bible study. The first thing God does to alleviate their cosmic disappointment is not a program, because I, I, I'm embarrassed to say I'm going to confess in front of you in the room and you at home that that's probably not my go-to in cosmic disappointment. Even if I'm pastoring someone through that, you know, your brain goes into, right, there must be a book for this. Someone's written about this. Let's get the facts. Okay, this is the solution. Um, yeah, we can do this. Actually, you have to follow Tim Keller on Instagram. That will solve a lot of your problem. You've got to go read that book. And I, in preparing this, that, that was quite a, a rebuke for me as well. Like, the solution to your disappointment, guys, Jesus is saying is, let's look at the Word of God. Let's spend time in the Word of God. Let's remind ourselves about the kingdom of God. Jesus is patiently explaining himself to them, and that's how he explains and displays himself to us. The first port of call for our cosmic disappointment moments is life. It's not all that other stuff. It's actually like, let's get into God's word. Let's go remind ourselves. Let's allow the Holy Spirit and God to remind me of God's kingdom. Imagine what it must have been like as Jesus himself is going through the word of God and they get to Isaiah 53. And he reminds them, and he, he would have quoted from it, but he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. What brought you peace is the destruction and brutal annihilation of Jesus Christ. We like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What about John 8, where Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do you want to be set free from cosmic disappointment? The first port of call is the word of God. The story moves on to another unexpectedness, unexpected hospitality. Verse 30, so, or 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. So they're walking along, they're getting to the place where they were going. Evening is coming, and he's going to carry on. And they say, no, 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 no. Come, come inside. Come have dinner with us. And when they're at the table, which the host would have actually broken the bread and shared, but Jesus takes that moment after a Bible study, after he's gone through the word of God, his next answer to our cosmic disappointment is, again, let's spend some intimate time with God. Have an intimate moment with God. Their hearts have already been softened by the Word of God. They want Him to stay. Something attractive about this journey has happened, or this man that they're with. Even in His unseenness, His presence has softened their heart, that they, 
they realized like, no, man, we don't want this to end. While they were entertaining a stranger, Jesus took the bread and gave thanks. Jesus performs a, a show and tell. All your kids have to do that at school, you know, take something from home. Because showing something, he's basically saying, hey, listen, I can show you way better than I can tell you in that moment. He breaks bread, reminds them of Scripture, reminds them of what this symbolizes, his broken body, his spilled blood for them. And at that moment, when they're in in the presence of God and they allow that moment to happen in their lives, to be in the presence of God, their eyes are opened, their hearts are opened. This is the moment you and I live for, seek for, preach about, worship for, when somebody has that moment with the living king and they recognize him for who he is, king of kings, lord of lords. It didn't only happen in the Bible study. It happened after time in the word and time in the presence of Jesus. We've got to give some props to these guys. In the middle of this cosmic disappointment, their distraughtness, their difficulty, difficulty, they still engage. Sometimes that means that even during discomfort, you and I, when we're going through discomfort or disappointment, we still show up to preach or, or hear the preach. We still show up to worship, to meet, to engage, even be it online or at home. Why? Why would we do that even during that moment because in this moment of considering others there's an opportunity for someone if not yourself to experience unexpected visitation from Jesus himself to experience unexpected revelation from Jesus and the Holy Spirit these things still await us and can await us and do await us see at the heart of it I know you guys don't just want to hear a good message. We want to see it. We want to experience it. That's why Paul tells Titus to live in a way that makes Jesus attractive. The story goes on to my last point. Unexpected fire. They say to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has, prepared, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told them what happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Beautiful verse. Were not our hearts burning already when he was just sharing his word with us, reminding us about who God is, who Jesus was. He wasn't just a prophet. He was the Savior King, and his kingdom is in play still. It didn't end on the cross. Their hearts started to burn, and it says they got up straight away. They've done seven miles in the middle of the night because of that moment in the word, because of that moment in the presence of Jesus, their hearts are burning now, and they realize, like, actually, we need to go back. Forget the Emmaus Road. We need to go back. Our hearts and our minds and our lives have been reignited by this. And they go back and tell the rest. 
We get the first glimpse of, a glimpse of what's in their heart. The only thing that can, they can say to make sense is when he talked, our hearts were on fire. How did this story start? Two guys having experienced cosmic disappointment, walking away from Jerusalem, saying, oh, Perry, that's, that didn't work out. Let's go back to, to what we know. The loss, the grief, having seen their Savior die on a cross. They have a moment, they, and, and they have this moment where Jesus unpacks the Word of God, engaging them in a personal moment by breaking bread with them. And what happens? Their hearts are set on fire again. They get up straight away and return to what they know Jesus is about. It's a moment with God. It's in his word, at his table. Then they get up and they're, back, they're on fire. They tell the rest. There's no drama from them. There's no, oh man, yeah, that was great, but you know, the worship, was, the worship wasn't that flash, so, you know, that cancels out that. You know, the preacher wasn't really the preacher I like. I prefer that other guy. Or, you know, it was actually just too cold, or actually it was just too hot. It was a lovely day in Cape Town. None of that. Straight away, they get up in the middle of the night saying, we have to turn back. And I want to believe and have faith that we can be a church that will also seek him like these two gentlemen do, even in the midst of disappointment or when things haven't gone according to plan. That we would be the kind of people that seek out his word and seek his presence. Because that is what will enable you and I to have not just some grit and, and that, but actually have a burning heart to get us across that flatland that we're in at the moment. It won't just be grit and a program and a, a good series. It's going to take something more than that. It's going to take hearts on fire. It's going to take hearts on fire that all we can talk about as a church, as a group of people, is about his power, his presence, his word, the unexpectedness, his stubborn loyalty to us, regardless of what you and I get up to, regardless of the fact that you and I get back on the Emmaus Road when disappointment or things happen. You see, in this story, you learn that even if you and I get on that road, Jesus is willing to join us on that road and engage us and meet us where we're at and help us to turn around and go back. And that turning around, there's a word for it, repentance. At, at a certain moment in the story, these two disciples have that moment with Jesus and they realize, you know what? We are not the best people to be God of our own lives. We're just not. A moment in God's word, a moment in the presence of God and with the Holy Spirit, and you very quickly realize, yes, that's why I'm not in charge. That's why I'm not on the throne. You just got to go watch the news, what happens when people try and take that role. When we experience him and know him and, and realize we're not the right person to sit on the throne, that's when our hearts really start burning. You see, 
here's the very harsh truth. Is it possible that some of us, we want Jesus on the journey with us, but we also want him to sign surety ship or the check for our disobedience on our road to Emmaus? Because we, we like to continue on the road to Emmaus, whatever that is. We don't say it like that. We don't admit it like that. But if we're honest with ourselves, our feet expose us. Our feet expose the fact that we often want to carry on our road of Emmaus. And we kind of you know, want some stuff from Jesus. If not, we want him to kind of follow us down our road. And the story shows us that, no. See, there's nothing better for his church, this church, for Durbanville, than a whole bunch of us with hearts on fire, even while we might find ourselves in the flatland or experiencing disappointment. A heart with fire in it can be sustained. A heart with fire in it can get through those flatlands, those disappointments. A heart with fire, it doesn't concern itself with a whole lot of stuff that the world thinks we should or you should be concerned with. A heart on fire knows what its source of heat is, what ignites it. You see, no one had to tell them to turn back. No one had to give them a pep talk. No one had to ignite something in. Their hearts were ignited by the word of God and the presence of God. There was no need to ask for small group attendance or church attendance, or prayer, or, or reading the Bible. None of that. When, the, when God has ignited your heart, that stuff just burns within you. The fire motivates. The presence of God motivates. The presence of God directs. When your heart is on fire, everything else is on fire. And that fire even is capable of burning up those things that shouldn't be there. You see, in the flatlands or in, in those moments of disappointment, things can often seem distant, weak. Like these two guys, you can often find yourself doubting, talking in past tense. I'd hoped God would do that. Changing from he's my savior to, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a good guy. He's helping me to have some good moral character. But the story reveals to us that, you know what? The kingdom of God is still working. The fire of God is still burning. Secretly, invisibly, surprisingly, irresistibly, and unexpectedly. Without that fire in your heart, it's too easy to forget. Forget what Jesus himself says to Peter. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And he goes on to say, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That scripture doesn't come with an expiry date, people. Pandemic, yes. But that scripture doesn't expire in 2019. It didn't expire then. We're still in this broken world, yes. But God's kingdom has not been extinguished. The gates of hell have not overcome. God is still able to meet you on your Emmaus road. Whatever that is for you. He will still walk with you and stay when you invite him in. Just like those two disciples saying, come in, join us. When you invite Jesus 
he stays. And today, maybe that's a moment for you as we break bread together just now. As you hear his voice, as you hear his word, don't harden your heart. God is able to meet you where you're at. Yes, we're in a difficult time. People are experiencing disappointment. And some of you might be on Emmaus Road quite far down it. But God is always ready and able to still meet you where you're at. And he will come in. You just have to ask him and allow and open that gap for him. I'd love for us, to, if the worship team can come up, we're going to go into a time of breaking bread together. And I just felt that this morning, maybe, uh, maybe this can just be a moment for you in, a, in your personal capacity. For maybe for the first time in your life, I'm not sure, maybe there are people in this room that haven't had that re- revelation of who Jesus is. And then, then I also know there's a whole lot of people in this room that disappointment has come your way in various forms. Maybe you're even, by your own making, find yourself quite far down the Emmaus Road. But I want to encourage us as we go into a time of worship and breaking bread together. We can expect an unexpected visitation from Jesus right now today, on this Sunday, in this place or at home, where you are. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to close in prayer. Maybe it's a moment where you have to take stock and admit that you, down that road, you've chosen to go down that road. Maybe you've used language in the last year of, I'd hoped God was that. And today God's word comes to remind us, causes us to reflect, for us to have a moment where we've been in his word and now we're going to spend time in his presence and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to every single one of you of going, actually, maybe my heart's not on as fire as it used to be. Maybe it's never been on fire. But that's the beauty of this. God says, allow me to speak to you and I'll speak. Allow me to engage you and change you. I can do that. Allow me to reignite your heart or ignite it for the first time. I'm ready. I'm able. So I'm going to close in prayer and then I'll let Gareth do the rest. Father God, I just pray for every single one of us. We thank you for your word. We thank you this morning that your word is able to meet us wherever we are. Even if we find ourselves in a moment of disappointment or journeying through the desert flatland. You are bigger than that. Your glory is bigger than that. It overwhelms those things, God. I pray that we'd be able to lift our eyes towards you this morning. And regardless of where we find ourselves, Holy Spirit, that you would meet us as you always do where we are and lift our heads towards heaven our gaze towards God and remind us this morning of where the fire in our hearts truly comes from. It reignites us, God, that we'd be a church with people with hearts on fire for you.